Welcome to the JACCP podcast. My name is Jerry Bauman, and I'm the editor of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today, we're talking with Drs. Laura Slater and Addison Upton. Their team's research on the impact of pharmacist-inclusive post-discharge clinic on outcomes in heart failure patients with reduced ejection fraction is published in the December 2021 issue of JACCP. Dr. Slater is clinical pharmacist at Asheville Cardiology Associates and Mission Hospital, and Dr. Upton was a PGY1 resident at Mission Hospital at the time of the study, and she's now working as a clinical pharmacist at DCH Regional Medical Center in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Lauren Addison, thanks for joining us today, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jerry. It's an honor, and we're very excited to talk about our heart failure clinic and some of our success stories. Great. So to begin, could you sort of summarize the setting and the practice model and the design of your study? And then also within that context, if you could, and what you studied was a team-based care model for patients with heart failure, what functions do the clinical pharmacists perform in your care model? Of course. So for a little background, our heart failure clinic is associated with Mission Hospital, which is a large tertiary care hospital in Asheville, North Carolina. Mission serves as the regional referral center for 18 counties in Western North Carolina, and this area encompasses about 1.1 million people. At Mission, we provide about 70% of the cardiac care for the region, and for 15 years, Mission has ranked as one of the nation's top 50 cardiovascular hospitals by Fortune and IBM Watson Health. And as you know, heart failure is a very complicated and heterogeneous disease. And with the high rates, morbidity and mortality, along with increasing costs for caring for the heart failure patient, health systems must focus on optimizing patient care. Therefore, about three years ago, Mission Hospital opened a heart failure post-discharge clinic, which I will refer to as the Heart Failure Bridge Clinic throughout the podcast. The purpose of our clinic is to provide early access to care for heart failure patients in our area after they are discharged from the hospital. All the patients who are discharged from our institution with a diagnosis of heart failure are placed in a hospital discharge program, which requires them to be seen within 14 days by a primary care physician, their primary cardiologist, or at the Heart Failure Bridge Clinic. And the type of post-hospital follow-up appointment that they are assigned to is at the discretion of the discharging physician. So our Heart Failure Bridge Clinic is located in the outpatient setting at Asheville Cardiology Associates, which is an affiliate of Mission Hospital. We have 45 cardiologists and about 15 advanced practitioners. Our Heart Failure Clinic is overseen by Dr. Vinay Tohan, who is one of our co-authors and is the director of our advanced heart failure therapies. And in our clinic, we see about 30% of the heart failure patients which are discharged from Mission Hospital. And to speak exactly about the model of our clinic, we operate under a co-visit model. For the post-discharge appointment, patients are scheduled to be seen in the clinic for an hour. The first 30 minutes is templated to be with the pharmacist, which is usually me or one of my residents. And the second 30 minutes is scheduled to be with one of our heart failure advanced practitioners. The visit's designed to allow ample time for physical exam, medication regimen optimization, and patient education. This type of visit avoids duplication of efforts and provides for shared and thorough clinical decision-making. 
The visit is billed as a comprehensive high-level visit under the advanced practitioner. And although North Carolina does allow for clinical pharmacist practitioners to prescribe and bill independently, it is at a lower level. So our co-visit model provides for increased revenue generation and increased care coordination. And our follow-up appointments are scheduled for about one to four weeks with an advanced practitioner or three months with the primary cardiologist, which of course is patient-specific. And at this time, the pharmacist-inclusive visit is only for the initial post-hospital discharge appointment. And to talk a little bit about the design of our study, our study is a single-center retrospective observational study. We included all the patients who were discharged from Mission Hospital between August 2018 and July of 2019. That was for a total of a year. And this was for anyone with a diagnosis of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction or an ejection fraction less than 40%. And if during this time the patients were admitted multiple times, the first hospitalization was the index hospitalization. And anyone who died during the index admission or was discharged to hospice or was less than 18 years old was excluded from the study. Patients were included in the intervention group, which is the heart failure bridge clinic group. If they were seen at the bridge clinic, which included the clinical pharmacist visit for their post-discharge visit. If they were referred to us directly from their primary care physician or primary cardiologist and their visit was not associated with the hospital discharge or if it was greater than 30 days after their discharge, we excluded them. And the control group patients were those seen by any non-pharmacist clinic after discharge, like at their primary care office or by their primary cardiologist. For the study, we had 1,654 patients who were discharged from mission with an ejection fraction less than 40%. And of these, 167 were excluded for their visit being greater than 30 days after discharge, and 24 were excluded for a variety of other reasons. Then we had 1,463 patients, of which 1,156 were served, served as our control, which means they were not seen at the bridge clinic and 307 of these were seen in the Heart Failure Bridge Clinic, and this was our intervention arm. If you look at the publication, figure one is a diagram which shows these numbers. So to talk specifically about the functions of the clinical pharmacists in our model, first, the patient is roomed by our medical assistants, and the medical assistants obtain all their vitals and a preliminary medication list. Once the patient is roomed, the pharmacist sees the patient for about 30 minutes. And during this time, myself or whoever is covering for me is responsible for several items. We confirm the patient's medication list. We discuss the importance of compliance. And with this, I confirm that the patient has a pill box or some other organized way to assist with medication regimen adherence. I confirm medication affordability and access issues. And usually during this time, I discuss with them their insurance and provide resources to ensure that the patient can afford their medications, because ultimately, if they cannot afford their medications, they are not going to take them. So in regards to this, where appropriate, I may sign them up for copay cards or give them access coupons with GoodRx, or often we use Missions Medication Assistance Program. Um, and this program, which we call MAP, is a wonderful resource with Mission Hospital, which help, helps patients apply for patient assistance programs with the drug manufacturer 
or can connect them with other community resources, which might provide grant money. Also, during my appointment, I discuss, obviously, the purpose of guideline-directed medical therapy, including indication, monitoring, titration, potential adverse drug reactions, risk versus benefits, and any issues with guideline-directed medical therapy particular to that patient. I evaluate for drug-drug interactions and drug-disease interactions and try to de-prescribe any medications which can be adversarial to the heart failure patient or to heart failure itself or to any other comorbidity that they may have. And finally, the pharmacist provides thorough information about a low-salt diet, fluid restrictions where appropriate, daily weights, symptom monitoring, and general lifestyle education. So after I see the patient, I consult with the advanced practitioner with all critical points surrounding the issues that I've just discussed with the patient, and I make recommendations about appropriate initiation, discontinuation, or titration of guideline-directed medical therapy or any other medications they may be on. Or I may provide recommendations about labs, which may need to be ordered. And then after the AP sees the patient, I confirm that prescriptions were properly sent to the patient's pharmacist. At the conclusion of the appointment, we communicate our changes, recommendations, or questions to the patient's primary care physician or their primary cardiologist. And then some patients may have follow-up appointments with our heart failure AP, and our model does not at this time necessitate the follow-up appointments include a pharmacist, only the initial hospital discharge appointment. Thanks, Laura. What, and, and congratulations on creating this great practice. I think Addison's going to take the next question. For the readers of your paper, you and your co-authors provide a great table which summarizes previous studies in this area, namely the impact of clinical pharmacy services, whether alone or in team-based care, in patients with heart failure. So what makes your study unique and, and how does it add to the body of evidence that we have? So there is a good body of existing literature that supports the use of pharmacist-inclusive care teams for heart failure patients, and our study really does back that up. The biggest thing that makes our study unique is that we had a pretty large group of patients. Like Laura touched on, we had almost 1,500 patients total, um, and about 300 of those were seen in the Bridge Clinic. And the existing studies we found had anywhere between 30 and about 300 patients. Um, Another difference was that many of the studies used historical controls, but our group of patients were from the same time period. And so since the guideline recommendations and treatment standards would be the same for our groups, um, including the ARNI adoption, it really would give us a more accurate representation of the effect of the clinic visit itself. Um, We also looked specifically at patients with ejection fraction of 40% or less, which has clear guideline directive medical therapy recommendations and guidance that we really adhere to in our clinic visits. As far as the results go, um, compared with previous reports, our study found similar 30-day and 90-day all-cause readmission rates, with the benefits being more prominent at the 30-day mark. A difference that we did find was that our 90-day mortality rate really fell in between data from previous reports. And we contributed this to our larger study population and or the inclusion of only heart failure with reduced ejection fraction patients, which may have impacted the mortality rate. Well, the outcomes and the results were striking. I was also interested in that you presented 
uh, some of your results in the form of survival analysis, which I think in some ways does also make it uh, relatively unique. Could you summarize the results then for the listeners? So overall, and really the main takeaway point was that our study showed that the Pharmacist Inclusive Bridge Clinic has a positive impact on patients' morbidity and mortality. Um, The patients that were seen in the Bridge Clinic after their index hospitalization had significantly lower cumulative probability of readmissions, ED visits, or death at 30 days and 90 days compared to the patients that followed up elsewhere. And that was 8% versus 21% at 30 days, and then 26 versus 32% at 90 days. And that translates to a number needed to treat of 17 at 90 days. So we thought that only having to see 17 patients in our clinic to prevent one readmission, ED visit, or death was pretty clinically significant as well. When we took out the mortality piece and only looked at readmissions or or ED visits, the adjusted cumulative probability was lower in the bridge clinic group at 30 days, with it being 9% versus 19%. The raw unadjusted incidence of death was lower in the bridge clinic group compared to the control group at both 30 and 90 days. The unadjusted benefit on readmission or ED visit did wane over the time period of our study, um, with it being more prominent and only statistically significant at 30 days. We also evaluated ejection fraction at 90 days using repeat echoes between 80 to 100 days from the index hospitalization because you know how scheduling goes. Um, But for those patients that did have a repeat echo, the mean EF appeared similar in the bridge clinic group compared with the control group, with it being about 38% in the bridge clinic group and 41% in the control group. But almost three times as many patients in the bridge clinic group had a follow-up echo, which shows the potential for increased monitoring or other unmeasured interventions that could improve patient outcomes in patients that follow up in a pharmacist-inclusive clinic. As far as our results go for the actual interventions that we made in the clinic visit, which again was a little over 300 patients, um, the average days to follow up was 13 days, which is longer than our goal of five to seven days. However, over half of the patients were seen within 14 days of discharge, which is the goal that's recommended by the American College of Cardiology. During the visits, we made substantive changes to the patient's medical therapy. We added guideline-directed medical therapy to the medication regimens of 30% of our patients, and in about 27% of the visits, we adjusted their therapies toward target dose. Um, We also discontinued medication, which could have a negative impact on heart failure in about 7% of the visits. We looked at the percentages of specific guideline-directed medical therapy before and after the visit. We did see notable increases in ARNIs, beta blockers, and aldosterone antagonists that were prescribed. We did make some other type of medication intervention in about 65% of the visits, and of those, almost half of them involved loop diuretics, which would be either addition, um, increased, decreased dose, discontinuation, change from schedule to as needed, or switching to a different loop altogether. So what do you think? I mean, given all the body of evidence, including your study and and the other ones that that you reviewed in your paper, can we finally say that clinical pharmacy services, either as a part of team-based care or independent, 
uh, improve outcomes in patients with heart failure and ejection fraction less than 40%. And do you think this should be the standard of care in the U.S.? Uh, well, Jerry, I'll be happy to take that. Yes, uh, I do think that we can say that we improve outcomes in patients with heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction, and I do think it should be standard of care. We've presented results of a very robust study, which clearly demonstrates the benefits of a pharmacist-inclusive post-hospital discharge appointment with heart failure patients with reduced ejection fraction. And as Addison pointed out, if we see 17 patients, we prevent one readmission or death. And we believe our data adds substantial supporting evidence to the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines for early post-hospital discharge visits for heart failure patients. And our study shows that intensive visits with a clinical pharmacist is an effective strategy to improve use of guideline-directed medical therapy to assist with reaching target doses with guideline-directed medical therapy and to making a statistically significant and clinically relevant difference in patient outcome. And I would like to point out several other critical factors that provide additional support for my statement advocating that clinical pharmacy services should be a standard of care for heart failure patients. One is patient feedback. Almost daily, patients and families tell us during their appointments that they finally understand what is going on with their heart why multiple medications have been added, how to amend their lifestyle, the importance of self-monitoring and open communication with their providers, and mostly a gratitude that someone has taken time to educate them. And I believe that knowledge empowers and motivates patients, leading to better outcomes. And secondly, provider availability. At best, it is challenging to schedule quick post-discharge appointments with primary care physicians or cardiologists. And our clinic is dedicated to seeing patients within 14 days of discharge in an extensive appointment, including a clinical pharmacist. This provides access for patients and the ability to monitor, educate, and attempt to prevent decompensation. And ideally, we believe a pharmacist should also be involved in the follow-up appointments, or at least the follow-up appointments that are anticipated to include medication titration and other access issues. And thirdly, clinical inertia. There is an abundance of trials over the past 20 years that have shown positive outcomes with guideline-directed medical therapy in HEFREF patients. And however, we know from the CHAMP registry, which involved 150 primary care and cardiology practices, that less than 25% of HEFREF patients were on all classes of guideline-directed medical therapy. And this registry was prior to the availability of SGLT2s, which would further probably compound the poor findings. So sequencing of these heart failure therapies has sort of been the standard due to concerns of adverse drug reactions and a variety of other reasons. This sequencing of therapies takes time and time is not readily available in the outpatient setting. Therefore, clinical inertia sets in. This added with the lack of provider availability limits the ability to achieve optimal medication regimens in our heart failure patients. If these patients can be seen soon after discharge and with very close follow-ups with pharmacists assisting with medication regimens, optimization of therapy can happen faster and saving time saves lives. We know that the ARNIs and the SGLT2s work fast. Benefit is shown in less than four weeks. And if all four classes of drugs are used, we know they work independently and provide better benefit. 
And having a pharmacist present to aggressively manage therapy for our heart failure patients leads to rapid reduction in hospitalizations and death. And there really is not time for clinical inertia. And I guess lastly, in today's environment, I would be remiss not to mention revenue. We would like to expand our pharmacy involvement in our bridge clinic to the follow-up appointments and to all types of other cardiology appointments. Right now, I'm used a lot in lipid management, antiarrhythmic therapy, and anticoagulation management. But at this time, we have to use a co-visit model to bill for a high-level visit. And ideally, our data it would be great if our data could be used to justify creation of new reimbursement models that would allow for institutions to expand pharmacy services and billing or revenue opportunities. So in conclusion, to answer the question of whether clinical pharmacy services should be the standard of care for the heart failure patient with an ejection fraction less than 40%, definitely. There's an abundance of data and guidelines we have for guideline-directed medical therapy for HFREC patients. And with the time constraints placed on physicians and advanced practitioners with clinical inertia and with the data supporting the benefits of pharmacist inclusion in these appointments, it makes sense to have clinical pharmacists involved in team-based care for these patients. Well, Laura and Addison, I couldn't agree more. And I do want to thank you for sending your, your work and your paper to JACCP. And finally, I'd like to wish uh, both you and your co-authors Happy holidays and to also to your family and also to the listeners of this podcast. Have a great holiday season. Thank you so much. Thank you.